and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Plan Equine. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, I'm finally in Tokyo. I am speaking to you from my hotel room after multiple COVID tests and nearly 24 hours of traveling. Myself and my colleagues Polly Bryan and our photographer Peter Nixon have all made it to Japan. And we are mixing up our podcast format this week. We are dedicating the whole of our episode to a special Olympic preview. I am therefore going to be taking off my podcast host hat so that I can wear my eventing editor hat. And I'm going to hand over to Horse and Hands Editor-in-Chief Sarah Jenkins to guide us through this episode. Over to you, Sarah. Thank you very much, Pippa, and huge congratulations on making it to Tokyo, which is uh, quite an achievement in itself. I think you deserve a medal for that one. So let me begin by introducing our colleagues. We're joined today by show jumping editor Jennifer Donald, who is like me in London at the moment, which I believe is hotter than Tokyo, at least for a few days this week. <laughs> um, hello, Jen. Hello. Nice to be here and hear everyone's voices again. Oh, gang back together. And also welcome to Dressage Editor Polly Bryan, who is a few doors down from Pippa in a hotel in Tokyo. Hello, Polly. Hi, everyone. Wonderful. Right. We are going to start by focusing on the dressage, as is the order of events at this year's Olympics. So, Polly, we're going to you first. So, first of all, tell me, how does it feel to be in Tokyo for these games? And what are your first impressions being out there? It feels amazing and pretty surreal actually um i've always 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 wanted to report an olympics and this is my first one so um i actually got quite emotional well leaving and arriving um although arriving as pippa mentioned was taken up by um lots and lots of paperwork and covid tests but slightly took the shine off it but the shine is back i'm very very excited for the action to start once we are out of our hotel quarantine and in the meantime i'm getting very addicted to my uber eats app and uh, have very (laughs) very much enjoyed uh things like ramen and sushi arriving at my hotel door amazing the only problem is that my japanese is not coming on all that quickly so it's really imperative on uber eats to find either english translations which is not the case on all of the things you can eat or pictures but i found a site today that had really great pictures of sushi so i'm really happy now (laughs) sarah and i are gonna have to have sushi delivered just to feel part of it i think (laughs) i think we should all have sushi tonight (laughs) sounds good Okay, well, we're thrilled that you're out there, that you've made it. And of course, with photographer Peter Nixon as well. Um, Yeah, and we wish you every success navigating all these restrictions and and bringing readers and listeners all that's happening throughout the games. Um, Turning now to the competition, Polly, can you whiz us through the format for the dressage this year? Because it's not one that many of us are that familiar with. I can. Yes, it is very, very different this year, actually. Um, And I think this will really or could really have a bearing on what actually happens. So the probably the biggest change is that there are only three people on a team. Uh, Most teams have sent four riders. One of those is a traveling alternate who can be swapped in. And the interesting thing is they can actually be swapped in after the competition begins. The the Grand Prix happens first, but they can be swapped in before the Grand Prix special, which happens second. And the other really big change for dressage is that the Grand Prix is not the test that decides the team medals. Usually at an Olympics or at recent Olympics, um, it's been a combination of the Grand Prix scores and the special scores that decide the team medals. Um, At other championships like the Europeans, it is the Grand Prix alone and the special is just an individual competition. This year, everything is riding on the special. That is the test that really, really counts. That is the test that will decide the team medals. However, everyone does have to do the Grand Prix because they have to qualify for the special. And every combination will ride in the Grand Prix on uh, Saturday or Sunday this week. 
and the top eight teams, so that's 24 riders, will qualify to uh, go forward to the special, which is happening on the Tuesday. The Grand Prix takes place over two days, so then there's a day's rest on the Monday special on the Tuesday. The Grand Prix also serves as the individual qualifier through to the freestyle. So separate to the team qualifying aspect, um, the top 18 riders from the Grand Prix will go forward to the freestyle and they can then compete for the individual medals. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) So just so I can make sure that I've got this right, the reserves or the alternates also ride the Grand Prix? No, no, that is only the 60 riders, which is um, the 15 teams plus the 15 individual riders. Okay. But the alternate could be swapped in up to two hours before the special on on veterinary grounds or illness or something like that. Okay. So could teams be very tactical? Could you have a rider in the Grand Prix that isn't as good in the special, but is amazing at the Grand Prix and then swap them? Or is there just no world in which that would be a clever move? Well... Theoretically, you couldn't because you couldn't plan to to swap someone in because it could only be done um, on veterinary or medical grounds. So Uh theoretically, no. And of course, you have to be good enough at the Grand Prix to qualify for the special. So that wouldn't necessarily be that effective anyway plus while while most riders and horses do prefer one test or the other for example um i spoke to carl last week and he was explaining how he prefers riding the special on on vogue um and he feels that test suits him better it would be it would be quite unusual for a horse to be particularly good at one of them and not good at the other because all the same movements are involved the special is just slightly more difficult for some horses yep okay so then Looking a little bit more at if you're going and you are not part of a team, um, you have to ride the Grand Prix because you need to qualify for the freestyle, but you won't get the opportunity to ride the special. Is that an advantage or a disadvantage if you're talking about tired horses or arena time? Where might that help some people or hinder others? In theory, that could happen. I would say it's pretty unlikely to, um, simply because the best riders are all part of teams the -hmm. riders who are most likely to get into the freestyle are all part of teams this year it's the it's actually the two best scoring combinations from each of the six groups that the riders ride in in the grand prix plus the next best six pairs across all of the groups that qualify for the freestyle and that amounts to 18 so it's actually not quite the top 18 in the way that i said but it it should be if that makes sense (laughs) I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it, Polly, the way that there are these heats for the um, for, for the Grand Prix. So I understand it's done on world rankings, so yeah. a bit like seeding in tennis or other sports, you should have some of the best people in each heat. But at the end of each heat, you will know who the two best are who are going through to the freestyle, definitely. And there'll sort of be a running list of, of those who are sort of the lucky losers as such who, who move on through to the freestyle. I think it'll be really exciting, don't you? Yes. Oh, my gosh. It is going to be so exciting. And um, I'm a little worried for the state of my nails, if I'm honest. I think it <laughs> will be nail biting in the literal sense and the the special will be really really exciting as well because that the 24 uh, pairs in the special are going to be split into three groups one rider from each of the eight uh, finalist teams will be in each of those groups and the the first two groups will ride in reverse order of merit based on their results from the Grand Prix and the starting order of the final group will be based on the team standings at that point after the first two groups have ridden so that is going to be really exciting stuff it's going to come really really down to the wire um, which is the sort of competition that I love so I'm excited fantastic 
And with all that in mind, obviously, it's more challenging than ever to make predictions for this year's games. But (laughs) could you run us through the British team to start with and what you think their chances are? So our British team are Charlotte Dujardin, Carl Hester, Lottie Fry, and our wonderful travelling alternate rider is Gareth Hughes, who I think is an incredibly strong reserve to have. I think we have really good, really, really good chance. My my predictions when it comes to the team medals are not completely wild guesses. Um, I tend to, ahead of every major championship, I tend to uh, be a little bit nerdy and go away and calculate every rider's average scores from that year and use it to sort of inform my predictions. Obviously, most riders have had fewer outings than normal the last couple of years. So I've actually taken scores in the Grand Prix special from international Grand Prix specials from 2020 and 2021, working out their highest, their lowest, their average scores. Those can actually often vary a lot. Germany came out on top by a fair margin as was to be expected. I'll be surprised if they didn't win gold. But Britain also came out, you know, pretty, pretty high up there. And and the big tussle is going to be for the silver and bronze medals. I I predicted Britain for silver. um, And I think that's very, very realistic. I it's not unfeasible that they could win gold. But I think it's unlikely. And who who else is going to be in that tussle for silver and for bronze? So By my reckoning, our biggest rivals for the silver medal will probably be Denmark. I worked out that if all of our three British pairs and the three Danish pairs match their previous best scores, they would just pip us to the post. But I think that all of our British horses have significantly more to offer than they've had a chance to do so, so far. We've got Gio, Charlotte's ride, who has done one international special in his life. So uh, the scores I put down on my um, statistics page for him were all the same. He's only done one. On Vogue is very, very new um, to top level. And uh, Lottie Fry's lovely Sally and Everdale has done slightly more. But he, again, he's not that experienced. He, He hasn't been to a championship. He hasn't you know he hasn't done that much and I really have a lot of belief in the ability of our riders and our grooms and our and our trainers to get those combinations to peak at exactly the moment they trot down the center line here in Tokyo absolutely and we have a little bit of a history of that right I I can remember Mm. it's where Carl has rocked up with a a relatively (laughs) unknown horse and then pulled it out the bag and there's been personal bests and um, everyone's been a bit blown away to the point where now we almost expect that as you say, to get them to peak at that time. Yes, and potentially that's that's putting slightly um, slightly extra pressure on them, which might be a little bit unfair. But I I really do have confidence that our guys are gonna are gonna put it out of the bag. I think I do think it will be very very close between Britain and and Denmark. They've got three very strong riders. They're led by Catherine Dufour, who um, has been really very dominant on the European circuit in in recent years. Um, I think the next teams that are also very close between Britain and Denmark, um, or the next one closest, I reckon is going to be the USA. I think they. Actually actually could well you know push their way onto the podium even without their their biggest names from the last few years um they're a very very strong team uh, and then the netherlands and sweden are also very close i think i think they're going to be in the reckoning as well fantastic well it sounds like it's lining up to be a very very exciting competition pippa did you want to chip in I was also just going to say, Sarah, that it's really interesting for us as a team to look at the progression of 
of dressage and of British dressage in the, I mean, I've been at Horse and Hound nearly, nearly 20 years, 18 years this autumn, and, and you only a couple of months, I think, shorter than me. And obviously you were our dressage editor in the period in which we first started to win medals. You know, I know you went to a lot of barren championships <laughs> and then finally went to a couple of championships where we did win medals. And it's really interesting to go from that point where, you know, when you were first dressage editor, Sarah, we didn't have any hopes to this point where, where we, we, you know, we feel as long as nothing goes horribly wrong like we're in a really good position in British dressage to be muscling in for those medals yeah it's such a turnaround and I do I feel very out of it and um I'm embarrassed for not understanding the format and it's brilliant obviously that Polly is in this role and can explain it so well to everyone the days when I was doing it it was a very different format I used to have to beg our editor at the time to send me to Arkin to report um on a Nations Cup where the Brits would undoubtedly not do particularly well and I remember having lots of conversations with lovely David Trott about sort of what we could do to go from here and you know to have one competitor making it through to the special or the three style to have anyone scoring 70 percent that magic number was incredible and then and then suddenly we were in Rotterdam and um we were winning medals and there was Vallegro and then suddenly there was London and yeah to watch the transformation was incredible but yeah you, you suddenly get a bit blasé and it's, well is it is it gonna be gold or silver um it's a very <laughs> very weird situation to be in by contrast to to 15 years ago when I was doing it so yeah very exciting <laughs> and Polly will the lack of spectators make a difference do you think to to the team performances or any of the horses in particular Oh, it's interesting. I I think it will really vary. Um, I think uh, I think Charlotte Charlotte Dujardin is probably very disappointed. There's no spectators because I know that she really enjoys she really enjoys performing to a crowd. Um, whereas I actually think that Carl Hester's probably quite relieved. Um, <laughs> his horse Vogue is he's very hot. He's quite spicy. Um, and I think that um, not having spectators will 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 quite possibly help him. It will be interesting to see how it pans out. I'm sure it's going to feel quite strange. We've seen photos of the venue um, posted on social media by the riders and the grooms who have been out here a little longer than us. Um, we obviously haven't had a chance to get down ourselves yet, being uh, in our quarantine. And the, the the venue looks amazing. The arena looks huge. Um, and they have all these enormous stadiums, which look wonderful. And it makes me quite sad to think oh, that, of no. course, they were built before the postponement and they won't be filled with spectators but the sports will just have to make up for it (laughs) this is going to sound like such a neat question but is there any hospitality do you know I don't think there's any paid for hospitality at the games but I think there may be a small number of sort of games family spectators Mm. but not sort of paid for hospitality as we know it I was also going to say that yeah it's it's sad to see those pictures of the venues and I think it might almost be a sad moment to get there and see those those stay those sort of seats in the, around the stadium but I have been to plenty of events where the seats have not had a lot of people in them and just the feeling of having grandstand seats and being in that big arena even if they're empty can be quite atmospheric That's for horses so I don't think we should underestimate that I, it's not like being in your field or arena at home that is true actually and um thinking back to when I was lucky enough to well my first ever championship was actually the Rio Paralympics and uh, that also is in a huge well the same the same stadium as the, as the dressage and the jumping um, but on sort of quite some of the early days of the of the Paralympic competition there were not very many spectators at all and it still felt like there was so much atmosphere even with most of the seats empty that's it ditto with show jumping as well you just need a, a handful of spectators with their flags and things to you know whip up the atmosphere even if the the stadium is half empty but uh, yeah we shall see I'm sure the atmosphere and everything else will make up for it won't it the reason I ask about hospitality is I recall being at a couple of championships, both in the Netherlands, where somebody dropped a plate 
as a German horse was about to do its extended trot. Oh, gosh, oh, no. Away from that hospitality. <laughs> I'm thinking, because it is you know, something that happens in dressage and that's it. That, you know, they're getting a four, they've broken into canter. You know, these, if you take some of those things out, but then I suppose, as you say, you'll, you'll be replacing them with other things and actually some horses may have less to focus on and therefore find that more of a challenge. But that can also be a factor in a half-empty stadium, which is that every sound is magnified. And actually that's where background music has a bit of a role, even if music isn't judged, just to muffle some of those noises. Because actually a sort of low-level hum from spectators is one thing, but if it's quite eerily quiet and suddenly someone coughs, drops a plate, whatever, that can be more unsettling. That's something actually I did want to mention is is another one of the changes for the dressage is that they will uh, ride the Grand Prix special to music. And this isn't, it's not another, it's not a pseudo freestyle. It's it's not judged. The music's not marked in any way, but it is provided and chosen by the riders and um, I do think quite a lot of them will have gone to some length to choose music that really will enhance their horse and their you know their performance and create that really good impression so it's going to be really interesting to see how how that how that works out what what riders choose yeah I can't wait to see that yeah that's exciting it'll add any dimension and um, and obviously all these things you know if we, we can't predict um we don't have a, a crystal ball but um who other than those you've mentioned for teams would you would you ask people to keep an eye on as major individual contenders Polly well when it comes to individual medal predictions for all the reasons we've spoken about I think it is really really difficult um, to predict I admit that when I was writing our preview feature for the magazine I did take quite a sharp turn off piste actually I do feel very strongly that this year, more than any other since Rio, we have more combinations who are very, very capable of beating Isabel Worth, even on her top horse, Bella Rose, who she has brought to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, I would expect there to be a group of about sort of five or six right up there. I'd expect Isabel to be in that group, her German teammates, Jessica von breda Verndel and Dorothy Schneider, um, as well as Denmark's Catherine Dufour, possibly Britain's Charlotte Dujardin. And then we're looking at people like Patrick Kittel from Sweden and possibly a couple of of American riders and I think it's really difficult to predict what order they will take I think it'll be really close especially among the top sort of four or five I I really think we could see somebody finishing fourth by you know 0.3 of a percent something like that Um, I said in my Tokyo prediction speech back in 2020 that I would love to see somebody else win gold in Tokyo. I think Isabel is incredible. I really, really do. I think she's such a fabulous rider, such a fabulous competitor. But I also really enjoy there being variety at the top of the sport. So um, my predictions are, I'd say 50% prediction, 50% um, hope in a way. I think this will be Jessica von Breda Vandal's year. I think she'll take gold. She's very much the rider of the moment with good reason. I actually do think Catherine Dufour from uh, Denmark could muscle her way into silver. I think she is very likely to better the... um, uh, best freestyle score that she's had so far with her horse Bohemian, which is 88%. I really think that could go up. I think I think she could she could easily go over 90. I think it's interesting that Bella Rose's international best score is 90.87. That was in 2019. Dorothy came within 0.3% of that at the Europeans in 2019. Uh, we've seen Jessica post 93% at the national championships this year to beat Isabel. I, I just can't help but think that Bella Rose, while still clearly on top form, is 17 years old now. She, she's one of these horses that probably hasn't benefited from the extra year. And the long journey to Japan, the, the heat, the humidity, it, it could affect her more than some other younger horses. So 
I actually went, as I said, a little bit off piste and had um, Jessica, Catherine and Dorothy up there on my podium. I could well be proved very, very wrong. Um, but I can't help but thinking that personally, I wouldn't expect Bella Rose to better her best here. Um, but I do expect several other top horses to. Yeah. So that is why I predicted three others on the podium. As I said, part prediction, part something I think would be interesting to see. Very happy to be proved wrong. Um, and also just a note on, on Charlotte. I think had she been bringing Mount St. John freestyle, as was expected, I would definitely have had her on the podium. I think she would have been vying for gold. I really do. Geo is the most fantastic horse. I, I think he has all the ability to win a medal here, but he's only ever done two international freestyles. He's, he's very green. Both of those scored in the mid 80s, I should probably point out. <laughs> and I think he will definitely go higher here. I just wonder if this might be a year too soon for him to displace the really, really big names um, yeah. and get on the podium. Polly, that's all very understandable. You've you've based your predictions on stats, which is definitely the way to go. I'm more of a dreamer. I'm going to go for Charlotte on Geo uh, to, to be on that podium because I just think it would be a phenomenal story. I think she can put it out the bag. Um, Charlotte mm. is the ultimate competitor. Geo is such a fabulous trying endearing horse and i think it would be a dream story um but yes if you were putting money on it i would go with your uh statistically backed up predictions rather than than mine (laughs) i have i have to say i don't know if i'd have put money on isabel not winning an individual medal (laughs) i think if there had been money involved um i i wouldn't i wouldn't have gone um quite so sort of left field on that it can't be a foregone conclusion we can't you know exactly anki winning everything isabel winning everything it being a a, a, you know foregone conclusion so it's much more exciting that we're having these debates yeah i think so and and i it, it does frustrate me sometimes when people say oh you know dressage is so boring it's so predictable of course it is in a lot of ways compared to you know eventing and show jumping um but it's not predictable it's still anything can go wrong and this year even more could possibly go wrong you know it only takes literally one missed change or a very slightly botched pirouette or a spook or anything because there's only three on a team and you know then there's covid as well only takes one positive covid test and uh things could be rejuggled quite significantly fantastic oh we can't wait to watch thank you so much Polly, for all of that insight um and enjoy your time out there in tokyo it's going to be a challenging one and i know it's perhaps not the games that everyone um hopes it would be but uh it's going to be an absolutely phenomenal games so uh good luck next we will move on to pippa pippa um polly started us with the format perhaps you could do the same for eventing and and talk about the the format for eventing this year and and what impact that may have on some of the, the contenders yeah, so it's a really interesting one. The common sort of thread coming over from the dressage is that it's three to a team, three to count, which is a change from sort of the equestrian team sport that we're used to. Where this gets particularly interesting in eventing is sort of substitutions and penalties for non-completion of phases. So traditionally in the sport, we're used to seeing if someone falls across country, maybe they get a thousand penalties. They are effectively eliminated and their team is eliminated. They are eliminated. They don't continue in the competition, but they are also effectively eliminating their team entirely by being given that sort of thousand penalties. A thousand is sort of a notional number as such. This time it's a bit different. So if a rider doesn't complete the dressage for some reason, they receive 100 penalties. If they don't complete the cross country, they receive 200. And if they don't complete the show jumping, they receive 100. So those are big numbers. They're probably going to be taking a team out of contention, but it's not 1,000. The really interesting part is around substitutions. So 
we are very used to eventing to saying, you know, it's all about the same horses and riders completing all three tests. And that's not quite the case in this competition. So there are two important points here. The first is that if you are eliminated or retire in the dressage or cross country, you can continue and do the next phase. So say that your horse gets really upset in the dressage, rears up, gets eliminated for resistance, or you just decide you have to retire because it's all going so horribly wrong. You can continue. You'll be carrying that hundred penalties, but you can continue and do the next phase. If you have three refusals in the cross country you will be given those 200 penalties but you can continue and ride in the next phase so that's a really interesting point do note that you cannot continue if you have been eliminated for lameness or horse fall dangerous riding abuse of the horse or disqualified so there are situations in which you can't continue to the next phase the substitution rule that comes in is that a combination who are eliminated, retired or withdrawn may be substituted by the alternate pair for medical or veterinary reasons in any of the three tests, incurring a 20 point penalty for the team. So if your horse goes lame and is withdrawn or is eliminated or retired, you can substitute for those veterinary or medical reasons. And, and if a horse is, is eliminated for lameness or a horse fall, they can be substituted for the jumping without the need for a medical or veterinary certificate that's sort of taken as red. One of the things that I've had a lot of trouble getting my head around, Sarah, is when you can't substitute. And I couldn't find an easy formula for remembering when you weren't allowed to substitute. And eventually what I worked out was that if you've been naughty, you can't be substituted. <laughs> so if you've been eliminated for dangerous riding, abuse of the horse or disqualified, you can't be substituted. So in those situations, the team just has to keep carrying the non-completion penalties. So you, you would have to take 100 in the show jumping, for example, if those things happen on the cross country because you've neither started nor completed, you can't be substituted, which would only be a 20-point penalty. So I feel like I've explained that in quite a uh, complicated way because this is a complicated competition and maybe I'll have to listen back to it and try again and try to be clearer. But yeah, it is complicated. I hope it proves simpler when we get there. Absolutely. I, it feels like there's going to need to be someone on standby um, that every commentator and, and us reporting here as well is going to be <laughs> just keeping an eye on what the substitutions mean. It could end up not really coming into play at all. Like it could be that all the teams at the top have all their people complete all the phases and it sort of doesn't really play a, a part at all. But you know what horses are like. Horses do fall and horses do go lame. And I do think we're going to see some of this, some of this happening. I really do. And the new format was brought in to sort of make it more understandable for people, wasn't it? So in theory, it should be more understandable. But uh, yeah, there's so many ifs, buts and maybes that it's it's never going to be, is it? Totally, Jen. And I think that's like three to a team and all to count in a way is clearer for people to understand. And I almost feel like if you have no history in equestrian sport, this is your first time watching, it might be quicker for you to get it than for those of us who bring the baggage of what rules used to be. That's true. Yeah, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Better for the wider public, which is what we wanted in Olympics. It is a is an opportunity for to get more people interested in our sports. So yeah, clarity for them is good. And we'll just be confused over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did um, find though that I was very, very confused when I first read the the dressage formats and I couldn't really work out who went where and there are all sorts of diagrams and all sorts of things that actually I think confused me more and the more I just sat down and thought about it and put it into my own words and and tried to write it so that our readers could understand it that was how I got my head around it so yeah, there's yeah. this revision involved it's like being back at school <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I did. A, I did. A, I did a piece for our website a couple of years ago now, but uh, which uh, keeps resurfacing now. Where I actually took some example teams and I said, you know, Team J, Johnny, Jemima, and Jillian do this, 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 and this, and they bring in their substitute, Joan, and I kind of like spelled out in each situation which which of those things it would be. Um, and I think that helped me get my head around mm. it. And uh, that piece is is still on our website. If, uh, if if you feel like that might help you as well, I think if you Google Olympic eventing format substitutions, you'll find it pretty quick fantastic well it adds to the sport for us brilliant and then um looking at gb and our team we've had one change already which perhaps maybe you could tell us about and then if you could talk about our chances uh as a team for for team gb Yes, so the change that we've had that you're mentioning there, Sarah, is that at the beginning of this week, we heard that Piggy March's ride Brookfield Innocent was not on the uh, the truck and the plane to Japan as expected, that instead Ros Cantor would be filling the alternate spot with All-Star B. A tricky decision, I think, which was led by Piggy's owners, is my understanding from the statement and from uh, a long and, and, and interesting and, and painful to watch vlog that uh, Piggy has herself put out that sort of goes into some detail around how they arrived at that difficult decision which was obviously a really tough one for her and for her owners to come to but a decision that they did make and Roz is a brilliant competitor I mean look at the strength of our squad when you're calling up the world champion from the reserve bench that is incredible I actually think temperamentally Roz is a brilliant person to fill this position the alternate spot is a hard one like to be traveling reserve at any championship is tough but normally you sort of get to a certain point and you know you won't be riding and you can maybe focus on some media work or focus on supporting the team if you're the traveling reserve you know you won't be riding and that pressure that uncertainty is gone whereas this time the alternate has got to be ready to ride at any point they've got to walk the cross-country courses if they're going to be jumping it while also supporting their teammates and uh, never letting on that they're hoping that you know one of their horses might take a tiny <laughs> step so that they get their chance so yeah Roz is she is a very level-headed competitor. I think it's one of her strongest assets. And, she, you know, she's uh, she's super laid back. She knows that horse very well. He's also super laid back. And I think that was one of the factors in the owners of Piggy's horse's decision is that they don't feel he's a horse who would actually perform at his best if he came in only to show jump. Um, whereas Ross's horse is, is quite lazy, actually. And I think temperamentally would be well suited to that spot. So to come to the second part of your question, which I think was around British chances... I think the Brits have a really good chance. So our team, which is unchanged, is Tom McEwen on Toledo de Cursor, Laura Collett on London 52 and Oliver Townend on Ballamore Class. All three of them are five-star winners. They're all three riders are Olympic debutants, but they've all won at the top level on the horses they're riding here. It's a team that has talent and experience. I expect to see all of them in the top 10 after dressage i hope to see all of them in the top five yeah it's i I i've i've got really high hopes fantastic and who will be hot on their heels germany so when i wrote my my preview for horse and hound i sort of in my mind i thought about the teams and i thought about how many individual medal contenders they had in each team because that obviously you know then plays to where you are as a team and I feel that Britain has three individual medal contenders. I think that Germany has two and a half. Um, I think that Michael Young is the individual favourite with Chipmunk, FRH. And I think that Sandra Alforth and Viermont de Matz are also potential individual medalists. I'm saying a half for the third one because 
Julia Krajewski's horse, Amanda Beneville, is very inexperienced. Um, she's only come into team contention this year when Julia had to retire her top horse, Samurai Duteau, when he lost an eye. And everyone thought that was the end of Julia's Olympic chance. Um, and I actually did an interview with her and we talked about whether or not we should put the Olympic branding on the pages because we were like, is she even a contender? Is Are we just being, you know, far-fetched, putting, you know, our Olympic build-up branding on the pages? We did. She got the call up. So um, I really like Julia. I love doing that interview with her. And um, her mare is super talented, but she is inexperienced. Julia has not had a lot of championship luck over the years. And so I'm not sure she will be fully pedaled to the metal if we get a tight time cross country. But yeah, two and a half individual medal contenders for Germany definitely puts them right up there on our heels. I think we should take some credit for that as well, giving her some luck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Looking sort of beyond Germany... I think, so when I wrote Horse and Hounds magazine preview, Chris Burton with Quality Purdy was still in the Australian team. I think the withdrawal of that horse is a bit of a sea change. I think it pushes the Australians down the order. And there's a big group of of teams who are just there, to be honest. Um, In my magazine preview, I said I thought it was Australia for bronze and New Zealand just squeaking into fourth. And then sort of another four or five teams right behind them. it, it is tight there. Like, I think we are looking at Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, the US, France and Japan, all being in contention, well in contention for individual medals, well in contention for team medals. And that's where the format might come into play. And a team that can bank three genuine completions rather than completions with 100 or 200 penalties, you know, even if maybe someone has a stop or whatever, could be taking the individual bronze. Again, it's going to be extremely exciting with, with this whole new dimension to the sport. I mean, eventing is exciting enough already, right? So, yeah. Pippa, I have a question. What is the level of the Olympic eventing compared to four-star and five-star competitions? Is it is it on a par with five-star? Polly, I feel like that question is designed to catch me out because it's not a simple answer, but I do know the answer. It's kind of a hybrid between four and five star. The dressage test is a new short five star test written specially for the Olympics. I think it'll only take between four or five minutes rather than maybe sort of five or six minutes for our traditional five star test. Um, But I saw the riders ride that test at at Windsor um, and it actually seems to contain everything it should contain. I think it'll be fine to watch and it seems to flow quite nicely. Apart from you do have to strike off into counter canter and I don't like that. That's a bit weird. But yeah, look out for that one. We'll see how that works. The cross country is short. The optimum time will be about eight minutes. That's a shorter track than a four star long or a five star. That's been set on account of the likely heat and humidity here in Tokyo. And uh, I was saying earlier, it's a bit cold in this room. I'm just going to open the window and let some heat in. It is it is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, the height and technicality are probably more akin to four star than five star. But the course designer is the US's Derek de Grazia. He is not renowned for going soft. <laughs> um, the show jumping first round is four star height. The second round is five star. The second round is for the individual medals only. What, what is that height? Meter 25 for the team medals, meter 30 for the individual. Sounds high. Not to me. (laughs) For a dressage person. (laughs) Once we start talking to Jen, we won't think so. I was going to ask her the height of her fences as well, if she didn't mention it. We're a few notches uh, higher. One meter 65, I think it goes up to in the Olympics. So yeah, a few notches higher, definitely. But uh, not to be sniffed at still. In the heat, Pippa, they're running the competition in what they believe will be the coolest hours. Yeah, the timetable is sort of sways frantically between the evening and the early morning. And um, yes, so the dressage and show jumping in the pure disciplines all happen in the evenings, um, which is great for you guys at home in Britain. It means the sport runs through the day and you'll have nice viewing. 
the eventing is a bit more spicy to pick up on one of Polly's favorite words. Um, the dressage, there are two early morning sessions, which is sort of 8.30 in the morning here in Tokyo, which translates to sort of midnight-ish. I don't have the exact times here, but uh, we are pushing them out like crazy on social media and online, as well as in the magazines. You can find them there. But two early morning sessions and an evening session for the dressage. The cross country is very early in the morning. It starts at 7.45 a.m. here in Tokyo, quarter to midnight for you guys at home in Britain. So yeah, it's, it's, it's mornings and evenings for us. Um, which then obviously a bit different for, for Britain being eight hours behind. Mm. And for those of us um, stuck at home, what are the conditions out there? Is it hot and humid? What are the what are they sort of contending with out there? We haven't left our hotel yes, room. We <laughs> Don't know yet. No, our only we we we've we've walked sort of out of the airport into a bus and then uh, from uh, from a taxi into the hotel. But yes, it is hot and humid. You know, if you open that window, you are hit by a wall of heat. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's we're talking about the early thirties degrees oh, wow. Celsius, thirty, thirty-two, thirty-three. I think it was thirty-four today. I've I've seen a lot of speculation that this might be the hottest Olympics on record, um, which if it is would be a stat I'm not sure I really want to be a part of. But um, <laughs> I have lots lots of sun cream and I, I bought some magical cooling spray, which I am yet to try, but I'm hoping it might. Be let our us savior. know if that's a find or if you've been done there, Polly. Yeah, I will do. <laughs> I reckon it's just water in a spray bottle. She's totally been done. <laughs> I was done on my uh, my choice of extension cable because um, on the on the box and on the cable itself it says it works in Japan. I arrived in Japan. It does not work. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Luckily, I brought a spare, but I now only have one adapter instead of uh, four sockets, which I'd planned. Oh, well done you having a spare. Very good. Very good. <laughs> um, Pippa, finally, your medal predictions, please. Your podium picks. Yes, I am for the individual going for Michael Young in individual gold, Laura Collett in London 52 in silver and Oliver Townend on Ballamore class in bronze. And when I made these predictions, I have to say that Ecco Ratings, the data analytics company who are big in our sport, they hadn't yet put up their prediction centre. But I was very pleased when they did put up their prediction centre to see that they have Michael first, they have Oliver second and Laura third. So not much difference. And uh, they have Tom McEwen fourth. So um, Amazing. Yeah. So your brain is like a database. That's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say my, my, my work Working out wasn't as statistical as Polly. It's a, a bit of uh, looking at stats and a bit of working on my instinct. On the team side, Britain for gold, Germany for silver. <sighs> I had Australia for bronze before Chris Burton came out. I did leave that when it went on our website because I absolutely cannot decide uh, between those, I think it's six nations now that I've got in the mix for bronze. So, I mean, I might just say something different now so that I can say I've got it right, whichever way it goes. Um, so yeah, for my podcast prediction, let's be different and say Ireland for bronze. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Pippa, so much for that insight. Um, and as with Polly, enjoy your time out there. Enjoy reporting. We look forward to hearing and, um, and reading more from you out there. Okay, so coming next, we're talking all things show jumping. The Horse and Hound podcast is currently supported by Pet Plan Equine. Known for their specialist equine knowledge, the team at Pet Plan Equine aim to offer their customers quality cover that you can rely on. Visit www.petplanequine.co.uk today to find out more about the horse and rider insurance that Pet Plan Equine provides. 
Right, moving on now to the show jumping. Jennifer Donald, Horse and Hand Show Jumping Editor, over to you to explain the show jumping format in Tokyo. What can viewers expect? Oh my goodness. Well, yes, as the others have said, this three-man team is going to add a whole new element to the to the team competition. Um, all scores counting, which as you know in show jumping can make a massive difference. You know, you just need to hit one one pole and that's another four faults added or um, eliminations, withdrawals, it's going to make a huge, huge difference. So plenty to play for biggest difference I think this year is that the individual competition is going to be run before the team competition so again that's a whole new element for the horses and riders and I think chef to keeps at the moment are keeping their cards close to their chest and not really saying whether there's going to be substitutions which are allowed between the individual competition and the team competition um, there may be some tactical maneuvers I think especially with the heat and the humidity people are saying you know it's going to take a lot out of them after the individual jumping there may be the opportunity to to bring in fresh legs for the team competition but we shall see i think uh, no none of the team managers really want to reveal their strategy or tactics so that could be interesting in itself but um like the others have said there's different scoring you know if if a horse is eliminated that you get a certain number of points and that puts them below the other teams which have three scores counting so yeah there's plenty to play for I think it's going to become very exciting there's so many rounds that could you know leaderboard could be changing minute by minute and uh, yeah it's going to be worth staying glued to because I think it's going to make it extra exciting as well and as we've already discussed hopefully for the outsider looking in it will make it more understandable show jumping is you know relatively straightforward sport you know you knock a fence down you get penalties and that sort of thing but to have all scores counting does then add a sort of pressure to the riders as well I think the all the Olympians taking part will have experience and an enough sort of mental strength to deal with that sort of thing people like ben ben mayer and scott brash are super cool under pressure we know that but you know if you're going in you know you've got to get a clear round that's unbelievable pressure i just cannot even imagine what that's going to feel like for some of the riders so yeah a lot of different elements this year so should be very exciting i think Wonderful. And do you know, Jen, is that change to having the individual competition first, is that about pleasing the spectator or is there another rationale there? I do not know the answer to that. It kind of makes sense. Um, I'm a sort of traditionalist. I'm so used to seeing the team competition being decided and then you know that the so-and-so riders that are top of the leaderboard will be going on for the medals, whereas this way you're seeing their individual riders in their own glory first and then moving on to that sort of team glory element but I don't know if it was done for the spectators um I do not know the answer to that but I think it will it will make it more exciting and and I hope it will make for a good result as well because without the individual being decided right at the very end where horses may be getting tired you know I hope the right rider and the right horse will actually winning the gold silver and bronze medals so how exciting they're definitely keeping us on our toes with the format changes jen can i clarify because i think another thing that's really interesting about this championship is that my understanding and tell me if i'm wrong is that each day is a clean slate in this so individuals first day jump certain number go through to the individual final the same thing with the teams they start on a clean slate there's nothing carried over from the individual competition certain number go through to the final day they all start on a clean slate so every single day is a clean slate is that right that's it and then even Coming into the final stages, um, they changed the running order to make it so that it's um, in reverse order of merit. So the 
um, the running up to the final medals, it's going to be from, you know, the, the last person to jump will be the gold medal position rider. So in theory, there's going to be so much riding on that or that final round. It's going to be a massive climax to both the team and, and individual competitions, I think. That's going to be so exciting. I can't oh, wait. Nerve-wracking and exciting and yep. everything at the same time. <laughs> oh my god! When I think of the show jumping, I just think of standing in that mix zone in Rio on the last <gasps> day and watching Nick Skelton jump for the gold and standing there. That's what I think of when I think of Olympic show jumping and I can't imagine anything ever again being as exciting yeah. as that. But I know it probably will be all over again, which oh, is amazing. And you just know that that person who jumped second last is going to have to then watch that final person go in you know it's just and it could all come down to a jump off as well that's the other element of it which we obviously saw in Rio you know there's the jump off element could come in and that's uh, just you know another level of pressure as well so I think it is going to be one of the best games I hope it is going to be one of the best games we've we've seen obviously Rio and London have a lot to live up to after that but um, yeah here's hoping. Jen do you think that we could end up with a winner who potentially hasn't actually been very consistent, but just happens to have had an amazing round in that last round, oh, but perhaps totally. were not great in the one before compared to someone who maybe jumped two fabulous clear rounds that but hasn't hasn't won. That's it. And even somebody coming into the games with zero form could, you know, jump three clear rounds in a row at mm. the right time and become Olympic champion. You know, there's just so many yeah. different parts of it and different aspects and and again I hate to say it but you know one of the favorites could go into the competition have two down on the first day or whatever and it, it's it all sort of falls apart for them it's um it's not a very stress-free situation but uh, <laughs> great for the spectators I think <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't you having to predict for the uh, show jumping medals. I have, <laughs> I have changed my mind about 30 times in the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, oh, I had two completely sleepless nights where I genuinely had sort of Isabel and Dorothy and Charlotte and everyone floating in front of my eyes. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, on paper, if Ben Mayer and Explosion don't win Olympic gold, I think it will be a travesty. They are so by far the best combination in the world and have proved it time and time and again but you just never know what's going to happen and it's not like running the 100 meters you know the fastest guy isn't always going to win you know the best horse and rider may not jump that clear round at that exact moment so I just it's uh it's a tricky one to predict I have to say <laughs> and then you you mentioned um Ben Mayer as a top contender and we're quite used to well the part past two Olympics, having a lot of British um, success stories. What do you think of the rest of the British team's chances? I think it's, I have to say, I think it's one of the strongest overall teams we've ever sent. We've got two brilliant riders in Scott and Ben. I think um, to have two of the best riders in the world on our team and to have owners that are supporting us and, you know, allowing their horses to be representing Great Britain at the Games is fantastic. Um, and Holly Smith is third rider. Obviously, she, her horse, Denver, wouldn't quite have the experience that uh, the other two have. But Holly is a super rider. She's proved time and time again that she can come out and, and do the business, whatever she's riding. So um, I think that that trio is a really fantastic squad. And uh, yeah, I, I've got high hopes. I think they've got high hopes. You know, they, they go into these things with good expectations. And 
there's obviously been a bit of wrangling behind the scenes about who was picked and everyone's got an opinion at the moment about who's the right person to have on the team and who isn't you know suddenly everyone it wants to be a team selector right now in show jumping behind the scenes so apart from the people that are the selectors oh. <laughs> job because you're never going to please many people right? well exactly and I think show jumping is one of the toughest I know um, you know it's very hard to say this is why you've chosen X, Y, and Z, especially in this year when uh, there's been so few sports and so few top-level competitions to to choose from and uh, things like the Nations Cups. We had a lot of bad luck. There was bad weather and things like that. So um, selector's job is never easy. Um, so I think, yeah, we've we've got a great a great squad there and I think we should be very happy with what we've got. Brilliant. And who else should we be watching out for? Who are the, the medal contenders for the individual and the team competition? Well, for the for the team competition, I think Belgium are the strongest team this year. I think they always come into championships so strong. They send a fantastic squad of riders. And I think uh, they've got three riders who really are the best in the world. You know, there's no weak link in that team. They've got Niels Brunsiels, Jerome Gurry and Gregory Waterley, um, who in themselves have just won Grand Prix all over the place, but have proved that they have the double clear you know, experience and and form to bring to a championship. So I would say Belgium are one of the strongest oppositions and I think would actually be strong contenders for gold. USA as well. I think um, they've got Laura Kraut, Kent Farrington and Jessica Springsteen and McLean Ward, who is one of the top riders, is their alternate rider. So you know that any country that can field McLean Ward as their fourth rider is is pretty uh, pretty strong in their uh, riders so um i think they'll be one of the the leaders as well i think uh yeah i do think great britain has got a great chance ireland i think as well have, have fielded a fantastic team and always come really strong into these championships there's a there's a great sort of vibe in the irish camp and they've got um kian o'connor dara kenny and bertram allen so there's a young team of horses you know it's some ex- inexperience there but um whatever the occasion ireland just seemed to come out and and do the business so i think uh, they could be ones to watch as well germany always as well they're ones to watch um and sweden too they they come out for these championships and do a great job but um when you have to feel three top class riders instead of you know four with possibly a weak link it, it does add to a, a different element and we're missing quite a lot of the top riders already for these games so um yeah there's a few countries that may have a couple of weak links which may mean they'll they won't do as well in the team competition, but um, have some very strong individuals. I mean, Switzerland, for example, they've got Martin Fuchs and Steve Gerdat in their team, as well as uh, a veteran Beat Mandley. So, yeah, there's some interesting riders and, and combinations to look out for. But whether having the three of them is uh, is as quite as strong as, as they usually do, it's going to be interesting. Germany, for example, have, have missing a couple of their usual suspects in France and uh, the Netherlands aren't quite as strong as they would normally be. So, Jen, I was really struck in reading your magazine preview that the Belgian rider who you just mentioned, Niels Brusniels, if that's how you Brusniels. say his name, he's actually, a, he, he's, he's visually impaired, is that right? That's right. You'll notice when he's um, riding, he rides at a slight angle. You know, when if you see a horse with uh, one eye, you can often see them sort of tilting their head and uh, and he's the same. So, and again, interestingly, he, you know, he, he's not from a horsey background. He 
he had a sort of fear of horses until he was in his teenage years. And, and you look at him now, he's one of the best riders in the world, winning Grand Prix and, and all sorts. You know, he's overcome a lot to, um, to get to that level. And it's, it's fantastic to watch. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, I think those three for Belgium will definitely be massive contenders. Are there any other names that we should look out for that we're perhaps not familiar with, Jen, or any horses that we might fall in love with this year? There's often a, a horse that will turn up in an Olympics that has the most extraordinary jump or something <laughs> that makes him particularly endearing to the, to the public. Who should we be looking out for? Oh, well, definitely Chalu, who is um, the lovely chestnut with a massive Superman stride. He's with the Italian individual rider, Emanuele um, Gaudiano. And he is definitely one to watch. He's, uh, you'll see him when he jumps the big oxes, he puts his front legs right out in front and stretches to clear. And actually he's, he's of similar breeding to Explosion. And you'll see um, when Explosion jumps as well, when he's doing the big oxes and things, he, even Explosion does that, um, really stretching his front legs forwards. And it's just, it's phenomenal to watch. You know, it's, uh, it's quite awe-inspiring. I remember when um, I was out in Rotterdam for the Europeans 2019, I remember watching Explosion pretty much for the first time and just thinking how incredibly he cleared those fences. He seems to hang in the air, but without losing any time. How does he do that? I know. Ben says the only time he will have a fault is because he's trying too hard. That's the problem. You know, he just, he puts in his every effort to clear the fences and you can see it in him it was I, when he uh, won at Windsor a couple of weeks ago it was just a sort of reminder of just how incredible he is the the way he jumped especially in the jump off when you're jumping at speed he was he was doing that massive stretch and, and doing everything to clear the fences but the speed he could do it at as well it's just he is like the perfect horse like the ultimate horse I would say he's just unbelievable but He's one I always like to look at for cover photos because he always presents such a perfect picture with those neat little feet up at the front. It's, yeah. um, it's very easy to choose from when he's when he's up for a cover. It's it, yeah, it's a good one. Because he does, although he is a brilliant jumper, he is unconventional in the in the sense that he he brings his knees up very high and he doesn't sort of round over his back maybe in that conventional bascule shape that, that we expect of the best jumpers. He is. A freak he of is. nature, I think, is the only way I can describe it. Ben says as well, he grunts when you um, when he jumps. You have to listen out for it because as soon as he told me that, I listen out for it now and you can hear it. He's putting in so much effort to do Aww. his job that he, he's sort of doing that grunting. It's like a tennis player, I think he said. It's, uh, you put in so much effort. And it's That's kind of cute to, to hear because he looks like a horse who finds everything it's effortless. Aww. But actually the fact that he's trying really hard kind of makes me yeah. love him more. Yeah. What's he called at home? Uh, Ginger or he's I think he's the BFG as well because he's so huge he gets he gets called the BFG as well yeah he's uh he's a big hunk of a horse put it that way but I think we're also big fans of Clooney there's a lot of Clooney fans in the office aren't there the Martin Fuchs's horse the big gray he's just such a superstar and I think um you guys have seen him in in person as well haven't you and he's just uh yeah I remember him from Rotterdam as well he was amazing and he's getting on a bit. I think he's he's one of the older ones, but um, Martin's chosen him over. He's had a couple of other horses he could have chosen. He's chosen Clooney. They're such a good partnership and you kind of want them to, to come out and do well again. And uh, yeah, it would be lovely to see them. Um, Daniel Doyce's horse, I, again, I have a massive soft spot for Killer Queen. She's, um, she's 
a phenomenal mare and he again had the choice of two brilliant horses in Tobago's head and chose Killer Queen over um, Tobago but um, I think Daniel and Killer Queen will have a massive chance she's a uh, she's brilliant she just jumps the clear round. she gives her all and she's she's got such character and such pizzazz about her so she's a joy to watch as well and actually one of the sort of darker horses Michael van der Vluten who work he rides for the Dutch team um he's got a beautiful mare again I, I seem to like these mares uh called Beauville and she is again fantastic jumper I think she could well come out and she's a clear round machine she's one of these horses that you will just watch and think wow it's just poetry in motion to watch them they're a, a beautiful combination so um I'd like to see them up up near the top as well so many great combinations to look forward to watching. Thank you, Jen. Um, so finally, your medal predictions. Who is going to be on that podium? Oh, my goodness. Well, for the individuals, I am saying Ben Mayer for gold. I think uh, he should be up there. He's one of the best in the world and without doubt should be gold medalist. Um, Martin Fuchs and Daniel Doyser for the other medals. For the teams, I'm saying Belgian, USA and Great Britain, but in what order I cannot possibly say it's absolutely impossible. <laughs> my heart says Great Britain, but I think my head says Belgium might just sneak up there. So we shall see. <laughs> I was going to, if I could just chip in, I was going to mention a minute ago that I think I read in, in maybe your, your preview um, preview feature of Pippa that, and I think maybe the same in show jumping, that you're seeing more sort of older horses in the lineup this year because um, people haven't really been able to bring on younger ones in, in the even in the extra time that we've had, but it obviously hasn't been so long that those older horses are now too old. And I think it's the opposite in dressage. I think we're seeing a lot more younger, sort of less proven horses um, because people have sort of shifted to the younger generation with the extra year. Yeah, definitely in eventing. We would, I would normally definitely expect to see more nine-year-olds, maybe even an eight-year-old at, at, at a championship at an Olympics, and there really aren't very many at mm. all. We do have a 20-year-old horse and a couple of 19-year-olds, which is unexpected. And I feel like, you know, people have very much been like, I want to keep this horse going for one more <laughs> year, you know, with the delay and, and get my Olympics uh, with him. So, yeah, I definitely think the, I haven't worked it out, but I do think the average age of the horse would be older and the oldest horses are older than we're used to seeing in the eventing at a games and fewer of those young horses actually swings the other way in show jumping there's actually a surprising number of new combinations um various partnerships have parted company for whatever reason so there's quite a lot of new um partnerships coming through i mean even harry charles who's the alternate rider for great britain he hasn't had that horse very long he's come out and done extremely well on it but you know it's a new combination for him um keon o'connor's kilkenny is a relatively new ride but um has come through very quickly and even another one for ireland actually dara kenny's horse is one that again he's he's only had for a matter of months so to be chosen for an olympic team you know on on a fresh horse a brand new partnership is is pretty special and um yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they get on definitely it's it's similar with with i guess the dressage our dressage team and that geo is is young um and vogue is is 12 but he's he only started grand prix last year and hasn't done very much and um our alternate horse Santano van hoff olympia um gareth hughes's horse he's he started grand prix international grand prix in this spring in, in about april i think so um yeah we've we're seeing a lot of new upcoming horses and combinations which i think is very exciting I think it is the Olympics for the more experienced tourists. I think it's so much to for them to deal with and cope with the traveling and everything like that. You know, I don't think you can take a 
very young mm. horse and expect to do well in show jumping particularly but we shall see I could be proved wrong <laughs> another another dimension and I suppose it's something else that the pandemic um caused this sort of this delay in in sport or this gap in sport for a year last year that meant that people could keep older horses young by not giving them those runs for that year um and also bring out young horses that perhaps haven't had time to show what they can do but doesn't mean they can't pull it off on the day so yeah uh, it will all be extremely exciting. Thank you all very, very much um, for sharing your expertise and your insights. We cannot wait uh, to see whether your predictions come true over the next <laughs> few weeks. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you, Sarah. Well, I hope you all enjoyed our Olympic preview special. We can't wait for the action to get started this weekend. And don't forget that for the next two weeks, we'll have a daily Tokyo special podcast episode rounding up each day of action so you can keep up with everything as it happens. On next week's weekly episode, we'll be back to our usual format. Although as I'm in Tokyo, I'll again be handing over the hosting microphone and my colleague Alex Robinson will be in the hot seat. We'll have an interview with show rider Katie Jerem Hunnable, plus personal trainer Katie Bleakman will talk about nutrition and hydration on competition day. We'll also reflect on the dressage action from Tokyo and the rest of the week's news. Thank you for listening to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Plan Equine. See you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.